Good morning. It's great that you're joining us for worship today, and wherever you are, you're very welcome. Yesterday marked 75 years since the end of war in Europe. In a world more reluctant than ever before to accept the reality of sin, that was an opportunity to recognise that although human beings are made in the image of God and have an infinite capacity to do good and amazing things, we equally are capable of doing bad and evil things too. It was a chance to remember the great cost of war and to give thanks for those who fought for our freedom, to pray for peace on earth and for a renewed understanding between nations, especially as we unite together in the fight against coronavirus. We may not have been able to mark the important occasion of V-Day as we'd hoped, but as the Queen reminded us on Friday, our streets were not empty. They were filled with a love and care that we have for each other, no more so than at a time of challenge like this. Today, just like 75 years ago, many people are living in fear. We're going to concentrate this morning on choosing faith before fear. Today is all about Jesus as the way to the Father. He is here. His Spirit is with us. So let's worship him together.
reading today is taken from John chapter 14, verse 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask in my name, you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Are you feeling troubled, distressed, anxious or afraid? Jesus doesn't want you to be troubled, but to have his peace in your heart. In today's message, he knew that even though he would beat death on the cross, his physical life on earth was coming to an end. He was preparing to leave his disciples and he was going back to his father. The passage today begins in response to Peter's anxious question. Lord, where are you going? For him and for the other disciples, this would have been a terrible and confusing time, and we shouldn't underestimate just how troubled they would have been. They'd left everything to be with Jesus. In a while, they'd experienced the depths of grief following his death on a cross. Then, unimaginable joy and excitement when they realised that he'd risen from the dead. And, as if all that wasn't enough, he then tells them that he's going to be separated from them again. And yet, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Later in the passage, in verse 26 of the same chapter, Jesus says to the disciples that they don't need to be troubled or afraid, because the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In this season of self-isolation and social distancing, many have shared with me how they feel alone, anxious and afraid. Yet, as Christians, we know that we're never alone. We know, just like those first disciples, that while Jesus may not be physically with us, he's actually never far from us. Jesus lived, he died and he rose again before returning to heaven and leaving his Holy Spirit with us. This fact is crucially important. While the twelve disciples might have been comforted by or even preferred to have Jesus' continued physical company with them, his return to heaven means that he's no longer physically restricted. No longer present with a handful of people at a certain time and in a certain geographical space. He's with everyone, anywhere, and at any time. And all we need to do is put our trust in him. That realisation, knowing that Jesus is always with you, and experiencing the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, can bring a deep peace to those who believe. We're never alone never abandoned or forgotten. The Bible doesn't promise those who believe in Jesus a troubled free life, but it does promise peace. In Welsh there are two words for peace, heddwch and tangnefedd. The first is an outward manifestation of peace, depending on what's happening in the world around us, on the absence of war or agreement between nations. But the second is a deep, inward peace, that's present no matter what's going on in the world around us. It's that peace that Jesus offers. The promised gift of the Holy Spirit and the peace of Jesus are not simply for those first disciples. As we saw last week in Acts, Peter, one of the disciples, reminded us that the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far off. No matter who you are, what you've done or haven't done, No matter if you're rich or poor, whatever your gender or ethnicity, you too can know this peace in the name of Jesus. Jesus has a good plan for your future. 
"'There's plenty of room for you in my father's house. "'I'm on my way to get your room ready,' he says. "'Jesus is going, not because he's had enough for the disciples, "'but to prepare a place for them in heaven. "'Until this point in John's Gospel, "'Jesus is focused on why and how we need to be rescued. "'Human beings are made in the image of an amazing God, "'so it shouldn't be a surprise that we have an infinite capacity "'to do good and amazing things.' God is amazing and unique, so too are we. But we also have the capacity for bad, for evil and for rebellion towards God. The Bible calls this sin and it's a barrier between us and God. God is holy, perfect and good and can't be associated with it. The sin barrier was brought down when Jesus died on the cross. He is the bridge between us and God. He rescued us from sin. And the verses today show us what we were rescued for. An eternity in the presence of God, in a place where there is no longer pain or suffering or death. A place where life can be truly lived in the blissful presence of Jesus. This is a perfect comfort for a troubled people. Jesus reassures his disciples and he reassures us by pointing us beyond our present everyday lives, however easy or difficult, to an ever greater future that is to come. He has good plans for your future. The next question from Thomas shows us that perhaps the disciples hadn't quite grasped where Jesus was going. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Nevertheless, wherever he was going, they wanted to go with him. So Jesus moves on to tackle the subject of how we find our way to God. The answer is through Jesus himself. Jesus opens a way for you to know God. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is truth because his words are the Father's words and his deeds are the Father's deeds. Everyone knows that I am my Father's son because we look similar. Children often look like their parents and they exhibit similar mannerisms too. So all that Jesus says about God is true and all that he says and all that he does perfectly reveals the Father. Life is in Jesus and since this life is eternal life, when Jesus says I am the life, what he means is that eternal life in relationship with God finds its source in him. If you want it, you must believe and trust in Jesus. Philip then jumps in and insists, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Philip, like so many of us, seems to want a unique one-off vision of God as proof of his existence. He wants to be taken to heaven for an exclusive viewing. Jesus' reply, Don't you know me, Philip, even though I've been with you for such a long time? It's a reminder that Jesus reveals God for us. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. Jesus tells Philip that if he's seen him, he's seen the Father already. He tells Philip to look at him and to believe in him and to listen to his words. Jesus' three questions to Philip. Don't you know me? How can you say, show me the Father? And don't you believe that I am in the Father? They all urge him 
and they urge us too to pay attention to Jesus' words and to believe. The phrase seeing is believing is wholly inappropriate when it comes to God because if a person believes in the words of Jesus then they'll see the Father. So instead of seeing is believing we should actually say that hearing and believing is seeing. Trying to see God without hearing the words of Jesus and believing that they're true limits our understanding of God significantly. Attending church, singing hymns and regularly taking communion, although they're good things to do, they're just not enough if you want to be able to see and to experience God for yourself. Trying to see without hearing the words of Jesus is like owning a mobile phone without a SIM card. It just doesn't work. You may look as if you own a mobile phone, but the moment you try and use it, you just hit a brick wall. Reading your Bible and hearing the words of Jesus, seeing things through the lens of Jesus, is what lifts the scales from our eyes and it enables us to see clearly. Actually, it's what gives us a deeper understanding of the church too, because it helps us to understand what being church really means. What the meaning behind those lovely hymns that we sing really is. And it's what transforms communion from a well-executed ceremony into a celebration of Jesus' victory over death, into a proclamation that love wins, something that should continually fill our hearts with praise, with thanksgiving and with joy. What Jesus says is the work of the Father. The words I say to you I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father who lives in me who is doing his work. In other words, when we come to Jesus and listen to his words, we're listening to God the Father's words. That's why Jesus commands us to believe in his words, or at least to believe on the basis of the works, all of the signs and wonders that he performed while he was with his disciples, and which John's Gospel records for us. In fact, John's Gospel is full of them. He says that there are many more signs and wonders that he could have written in this book. But he wrote these things so that we might believe in Jesus and have life in his name. Unbelievably, Jesus then goes on to show that he will do even greater things through us. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I am doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. That isn't to say that if we believe in Jesus, we can expect to walk on water or to turn water into wine. Jesus has been talking about belief in the one who sent him, about how his words are the words of the Father, and about how looking at him enables us to see God and to find life. His point here is that his disciples, and that's us, need to continue his work, sharing the words of the Father which accomplish the work of the Father, namely that people hear the good news and come to believe for themselves. In other words, that other people can know him and experience a personal relationship with God for themselves. Our great commission as disciples is to go and make disciples of others, and our willingness to be obedient to that commission will bring life to a far greater number of people than Jesus himself was ever able to reach during his earthly ministry. How on earth will this be achieved? Well, at least part of the answer is here in the passage. 
I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Now it's really important to understand this correctly. Jesus isn't saying that if you ask for the winning lottery ticket or for a brand new car, that it'll be given to you. That kind of ridiculously self-centred interpretation is prevented, I think, by two qualifying remarks. In my name, and so that the Son might bring glory to the Father. So the things that we ask for must be in accordance with the character and teachings of Jesus. He will answer prayer through which his Father, that's God, is glorified. Jesus' guarantee of answered prayer is restricted to prayer that brings glory to God. Not all prayer for happy, wealthy or troubled free lives. Sadly, that won't always be a reality this side of heaven, which is why knowing that Jesus is with us and that we can have his peace is such a comfort. Sometimes it can make no sense to us why our prayers aren't answered the way that we'd expect them to be. We can obviously see that God could have been glorified through them, but instead we're left hurting and questioning as to why the answer was so different to what we'd expected from God. In the midst of the coronavirus, some families will be experiencing jubilant amazement because loved ones are making miraculous recoveries. Others, on the other hand, will be on first-name terms with funeral directors. This side of heaven, unanswered prayer can make no sense. I find it helpful to remember that life is often like a beautiful tapestry. We're living on the messy backside of that tapestry, with all the loose, unattractive strands on show. But in his wisdom and in his love, God gets to see the actual, beautifully designed image on the front side of the tapestry. And personally, I look forward to being able to see for myself and to understand the big picture once I'm with God in heaven. Are you able to give what the Bible calls a reason for the hope that's within you? Try and sum up in a few sentences the difference that following Jesus makes for you. Then, how about spending a few moments each day praying that God will lay a name on your heart, the name of only one person who might be open to hearing your story. Commit to praying for that person, and then actively look for a chance to share your personal reason for hope with them. Churches across the country are full of people who are keen to see their community grow. The good news is this. We have a cast-iron promise from Jesus himself who says that they can and they will grow. But it's up to us. It doesn't happen by accident. We have to be focused about our Father's business, every single one of us. People can argue with you about the ins and outs of the Bible, about what it means and how you understand it, but your personal story is rightfully your story to share. Stories are powerful, and that's why the Bible is full of stories. Stories about people and the difference that God has made in their lives. So be prepared and ready to tell your story, and to share it with others too. The worst case scenario is that you feel a little bit embarrassed for a while. But the best case scenario just might be that you bring real and living hope to someone, encouraging them and enabling them to draw one step closer to Jesus.
Amen. Our prayers this morning are led by Cos. Cos, thank you so much. So let's pray together. Dear God, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, thank you for listening to these prayers. We thank you for all your gifts of love for us at this difficult time with coronavirus, which is affecting every nation. Please help everyone suffering and dying with this disease and their families who cannot be with them. We are thankful for the doctors and nurses who help the sick during their illness. Thank you for all the people working to keep us fed, those who get medical supplies to the housebound, and a special thank you for your doctors, nurses, lorry drivers, cleaners and refuse collectors. Praying too for office workers, ambulance services and the police for keeping the public safe, also the many others working to support the community. Give strength to those locked down in small flats and homes. Show them ways that they can fill the day by exercising, doing homework and playing games with children and the rest of the family. Thanking you Lord for all the church leaders that they make the right decision to keep their flock safe and reach those on the fringes of God's faith so that they too can feel God's love. Give strength to all politicians and leaders of all nations that they will make the correct decision when fighting the coronavirus and take in all other worldwide action so that the nations work with each other, avoiding international conflict. Lord, let us reflect on the 75th anniversary of VE Day and appreciate the sacrifice that was made for our peace. Lord, please give people inspiration to work together so that greatness can be achieved in your name as we move forward and lockdown is gradually relaxed. Finally, accept our prayers for our family, friends and ourselves to keep strong and help others the best way we can, even though for some of us it's just by staying in. Lord, please accept these our prayers. Amen. So now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.